what God's going to do. Today's not only our five-year anniversary, we're also wrapping up the fast, and um, we've been doing 21 days of prayer and fasting since January 1st, and today's January 21st, so we're wrapping that up today, and just breaking fast together. And uh, for all of you that, that tr- like literally tried fasting, like this is brand new for you, we kind of pitched the idea, the biblical understanding of what it means, not just um, something to get out of God or, or just to sacrifice for sacrifice sake, but truly setting aside our desire for food that we might raise our desires for him. And for all of you that just tried it for the first time, kind of scared to death and like, I don't know what this is all about. This is just like a spiritual high five from your pastor just saying, um, rock on, like way to go for it. And um, I I don't know about for you, but probably like the first five or six times I fasted, it was a terrible experience. So if you just had like a kind of a good experience, because here's the thing, you're in good shape because we grow in our understanding and knowledge and wisdom about the purpose of it, and, and we push past the, it. The more you go on, the less it's, it's just not about the food. It's not about what you're giving up. And so uh, I just want to give you a little high five and just say, rock on. You're going to see the, the fruit of that. Even if you don't see it in the first 21 days of this year, you're going to see it come October, come November, come 2019. You just look back on where God's brought you, and you're going to be so thankful that you just chose a sacrifice in this season. And so, uh, so thank you for being a part of that. Man, <clears throat> the fast not only just uh, ramps up your desire for the Lord, um, but I got to be real. I'm coming out with some desires for some foods that I've been saying no to. Like, I'm ready for some meat. I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm ready for some meat and some, some food. I, the, one of my biggest cravings has been ice cream. Like, I love ice cream. I'm crazy about wits. If, I don't know if they're a public offering, but I would like to get in um, with some stock on wits because I just love it. If you haven't tried it, it will change your life. Um, it was changing my waistline, and so it's been good to slim that back for a few weeks. And I've uh, just been thinking about it, and I, and I don't know about you, I've got a lot of favorite flavors, but I, I love a good clean vanilla. Like, I'm just boring like that, I know, ju- judge me. I, yeah, I hear it. <laughs> hear it in your voice, you're judging me. You're judging me. It's the most pure form of the ice cream. Hey, did you know, did you know that, you know, I, I like Chick-fil-A too, I love their cookies and cream, but you couldn't make the cookies and cream one without vanilla. And th- and, and, their, and their ice cream isn't ice cream, right? It's an ice dream. It's an ice dream. You know, you got to love it. Did you know vanilla is the most popular spice in the entire world? Most po- you know, popular exported spice in the entire world. Um, back in the day, like Princess uh, Anne of Austria, she would put it in her hot chocolate. And uh, Queen Elizabeth would put uh, vanilla in her pudding. And Thomas Jefferson not only authored the Declaration of Independence, but he also authored the first recipe for vanilla ice cream. You know, there you go. There's, you're going to get filled with factoids today. Um, it's just, just an incredible story that kind of comes from the birth of, of vanilla. Did you know it's from an orchid plant? Like there's 28,000 species of orchids, and there's only one that produces fruit. It, it, and we call them beans, but it really has seeds in it, therefore it's fruit. You guys know about that whole thing. So it's the only out of 28,000 species that actually buds fruit. And for hundreds of years, the only place in the world that it could grow was Mexico. Out of the region of Mexico, is the only place that exported vanilla until uh, a long time ago, 1822, there was this plantation owner on the island of Reunion, which is a French colony off of the coast of Madagascar. And this island of Reunion had this plantation owner that received a grant from the French government for four vanilla orchid plants, four vanilla orchid vines. And the three of them died except for one. 
One survived, but for 20 years, two decades, it didn't produce fruit. It didn't produce any fruit for two decades until, um, again, 20 years from that time, from 1822, so it's like 42. Um, the, the plantation owner is walking along with a 12-year-old slave boy of his named Edmund. If you go to the island of Reunion, you can see a bronze statue of this young slave boy who, who kind of made a, a claim to fame here. Because he's walking along with his plantation owner, and they come up on the, the vanilla orchid, and it's fruiting. And the plant, two decades of no fruit, and the, he comes to it, and he's like, what in the world? He's just amazed that there's fruit on the vine, finally. And he says, what happened? And the slave boy describes that he had hand-pollinated this orchid a vine in order for it to produce fruit. And that sounds like a, a nice story, but for 300 years, there had been no other sign of it surviving anywhere until a slave boy pollinated this. And what started as a single vine grew into a worldwide spice industry from this remote island off of the coast of Madagascar. It, it went from um, uh, 1958 or nine that, uh, or 1858 or 59, they, they were producing two tons of vanilla. Nine years later, they were producing 20 tons. By the end of the century, 1898, they were producing 200 tons of vanilla there from a single vine. You see, you see ice dreams, the dreams that they start, billion dollar industries start from a single vine. Every dream has a genealogy. Like you can trace it back and off of every dream, there's more dreams that are birthed out of it. Think about like Google and Amazon and how many business people have stepped out of that in order to start their own dream business. And I just believe in this room, as we've been going through this series called Whisper, as we've been going through this series, what we've been talking about is that the purpose of God speaking or whispering is not just for us to get answers to our questions. The purpose of God speaking or whispering is so that we'll be close to him. That's why he's speaking. That's why he speaks through scripture. The scripture isn't to beat us over the head. It's to lovingly guide us into his heart that we might know him. That's why God speaks through people, promptings, and even pain like we talked about last week is for that, that we might be close to him. And today I want to look at desires, doors, and dreams to wrap up our series. To do this, I want to go to Genesis chapter 39. We're going to look at verses 1 through 15, but I want to kind of let you in before we dive into the text on where we're dropping into. We're picking up on the story of Joseph. Some of you have heard about Joseph, the one with the coat of many colors, that Joseph. Um, it's interesting to me that there's almost as much text chapter-wise in the book of Genesis as there is on Joseph as there is on Abraham. I found that kind of interesting. There's almost as much text there, but he kind of gets lost. And remember just the genealogy of God's promises and dreams that he's laid on um, the people of Israel. Abraham gave birth to Isaac, and Isaac gave birth to Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. Jacob was the one that would wrestle with God, and his, God would change his name to Israel. That's where we get the, the, the nation of Israel from, from this whole lineage of people. And Joseph was Jacob, or Israel's last youngest son. And the scriptures tell us that, that Jacob, that Israel loved Joseph so much. Like he was just special. He was just his baby. And he just loved his baby. Any other baby of the house? Like anybody? No babies in the house? Y'all just don't want to like admit it because there's like stereotypes. I get it. Um, 
No, but, but he, he was the baby, and God, uh, J- uh, uh, Jacob had given them his, this very special multicolored coat that we've often heard about. And, and, and he, his father loved him, and the brothers knew about it, and so they hated their brother because they knew he was the favorite child. Come on, you probably went through a phase somewhere, and they're like, he's just the favorite one, and you just never get onto him like you get onto me. Like, you've probably been there, and that's where the brothers were. They hated their brother. They hated their brother. And if, if that wasn't enough, in Genesis chapter 37, Joseph, at 17 years old, starts having these dreams, and, and he doesn't know what to do with them other than to just tell his brothers. And like the dreams are kind of wild. It's like sheaves of grain that are, that are bowing down before Joseph. And then it's like another one that's like the sun and the moon and the stars are bowing down before Joseph, and he tells his brothers about his dreams, and they're just like, what are you trying to say? Like, we're going to bow down to you? Like, nice try, bud. So their hatred gets to a point where they want to kill him. Like they're over it, like it got real. And they want to kill their brother and and they begin to devise a plan to do that. But in the midst of their devising to kill their brother, one brother Reuben's like, hey guys, come on. Let's kill him. We're not getting anything out of that except blood on our hands. Why don't we sell him into slavery instead? I mean, he is our brother after all. Like there's literally his line. He is our brother after all. Let's not kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. So they do that. They get some money. They fake his death, put blood all over the coat and throw it in a hole and they fake his death. And Jacob mourns, his father mourns intensely so much so that he could not be comforted and he refused to be comforted. He refused to be comforted. He wouldn't allow it. And he said, no, I will mourn until I die. Like he had just made his bed in the depth in the depths of the sea and just saying like, I'm just going to die this way morning. But God wasn't finished with this story. And we're going to pick up after Joseph has been sold into slavery at the beginning of Genesis chapter 39. I want to read 15 verses and then we're just going to dive into desires, doors, and dreams. <clears throat> uh, can you grab me some water? Uh, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, uh, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. And the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. And he lived in the house of uh, his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and he became his attendant. And Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time that he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. And the blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he didn't concern himself with anything except the food he ate. And now Joseph, he was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. And, but he refused. He said, with me in charge, he told her, my master doesn't concern himself with anything in this house. And everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one's greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except for you because you are his wife. And how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her, like even in the same room as her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. So she caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and he ran out the house and 
When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said um, to them, this Hebrew has brought, um, uh, brought to us to, to make a uh, sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And, and when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. There's a hole there. I don't know if you noticed it in my lip. Um, it's an interesting story. I mean, we can almost juxtapose this with our story last week about um, David when we were looking at his story in 2 Samuel. I think God wants to speak something through this text to us today about desires, how, how he's speaking through desires, how he's speaking through um, doors and how he's going to speak through dreams in, in our life and how he, he loves to, to speak to us. See, for, for Joseph, I mean, we can kind of zoom in on this, and as we begin to talk about our greatest desire just being, being the Lord um, and God speaking through those, we can begin to look at this, be like, I, I guess Joseph, as a 17-year-old man, you know, young man, sold into slavery, his greatest desire and his greatest temptation here was the sexual desire. Um, just a couple, here's a more, another factoid. Many times, two things about Egyptian culture, one, um, Potiphar, who's the captain of the guard, it's like kind of captain of the secret service for Pharaoh. That's kind of what he did. And many times in Egyptian culture, they would castrate them. So let's talk intensity. So they would castrate them and they would become a eunuch so that their eyes, so their hearts wouldn't be focused on anything sexual, but just focused on the matters and protection of the king, right? That's taking the job seriously. So he, uh, he did that, but it might speak something to what's going on with Pharaoh's or, or uh, Potiphar's wife here and her unmet desire sexually that he, she is now kind of leaning out. It, it also was very common with the Egyptian women that they, they were pretty loose and immoral. Juxtapose that with, you know, Hebrew women who were very guarded and very reserved and, and protected, but um, Egyptian women were many times known for their immorality at that time. And so, um, but, and I think we can see that the sexual desire temptation here, but, but I think there was other desires that he had to work through. And, and I almost don't even think that's the biggest one that I'm speak, like speaking about right now. It, I, I think, imagine being sold into slavery at 17 years old and, and the desire to just give up. Desire just to cash it in. Like not even just moving across state like sold to slavery, but, but moving like to another culture where they didn't speak the language. It was a completely different culture and he'd already been betrayed. Like how easy would it have been just to give up and like the desire to keep going here and the desire that God was not, this was not the end of the line for Joseph. He didn't quit on it. And I think there's something about that that God wants to speak in our life because our world is filled all around us, like with, with just a, a need for us to pay attention to our own desires and make our life about our selfish desires, whether it's a commercial that says, feed in to your greedy desires, right? Become this, you know, buttoned up picture of success and focus your entire life around it. Or, or whether it's from a movie that, that's just encouraging us to, because sex sells, just give in to your lustful desires. Or whether it's from a conversation with a friend that says, just do whatever makes you happy. Right? And that's the theology, is do whatever. It's hedonism. It's not, certainly not Christianity. Do whatever makes you happy. And, and the truth of the matter is that God, when we delight ourselves in the Lord, he's going to give us the desires of our heart. But first, our greatest desire must be to delight 
and honor him. And that's what we see in the, in the life of Joseph. Like he had an opportunity to give in to a hormonal young man that's handsome and is lonely. He, he had all the opportunity, but he was faithful so much so that he wouldn't even be caught in the room with her. And it just so happened that this took place. And what we're going to see through this is, and what I want to share about is, is I think there's a few different types of desires that God will speak and whisper into our life and what he wants to do here. There's three types of desires. First, there's desires that God will crucify. There's some desires in our life in this room right now in some of us that God wants to crucify. There's, there's lust desires. There's greed desires. There's jealous desires there's sinful desires within us that are not God's plan for our life. And if we give in to them, we'll end up with some consequences that we could have far avoided. Come on, some of us have lived this before. We didn't crucify them the first time when God told us, and then we've kind of paid some consequences, and now we're looking back and be like, I should have crucified that a long time ago. I should have allowed God to take that down. And that's why Paul said, we got to crucify our flesh on a daily basis. And that's why Paul said, we're new creations in Christ. And we don't, we're not obedient to the old, uh, the old creation. We're obedient to the new creation that's in Christ. We don't live by the flesh. We live by the spirit. And he painted that out. So there's some desires that need to be crucified. Secondly, there's desires that God will sanctify in our life. Sanctify really just means set aside and purify. Set aside and purify them. And this is one that is so dangerous and we must be, because it's so deceptive. These are so deceptive because you'll have people around you that it'll go undetected for years. And in fact, people will encourage it and condone some of these. For me, it was the ambition to succeed. Ambition's one that we would applaud in our child. He's so ambitious and going after and he wants to be successful, but that ambition almost killed me and caused me to lose my family. Because I, I would do anything, even in full-time ministry, I was giving, my ambitions were just after success, and it was no longer after God. I went through a season where God just had to sanctify this in me. In fact, when we moved down here, I looked my wife in the eyes and said, our life is not going to look like it used to look like. I'm not going to look like what I've used to look like. Because I realized God was trying to sanctify this in me. And, and, and moving to this place, I said, it's going to look different. And frankly, it took me years, like two and a half years probably, for God to continue this work. And I have to continually let him sanctify it. Because for years and years in my life, it was about success. It was about performance. It was about being the top of my class. It was about being the star athlete. And you know where it led me? It led me wanting to commit suicide. That's where it led me. And I think we found that when we see, let these ambitions that are, uh, go undetected, that we've not allowed God to sanctify, what we think will be an open door for us will lead us to open doors that will end up being empty when we get there. And so that's not the only, the, the, the third one is that God, there's desires that God wants to amplify. We don't think about this one a lot. There's desires in your life that God actually, he wants to turn the volume way up on. For many years, some of you were raised in an environment in which uh, if you had pleasure in anything, if you enjoyed anything, then it was of the devil, right? If, like I remember like my, my mom was not allowed to go. And I think uh, this might even been like before her dad was a believer. And he like in his 50s, he went into full-time ministry. He'd never been in full-time ministry. God saved him and went in that. So if you're old, God can do some awesome things. Uh, or older, not old. Um, <laughs> Lo siento. Moving on. Um, <laughs> um, 
God can do some amazing things in your life. And um, see, I'm completely lost now. Yeah, you, you, you knew that. You knew that. You can see it on my face. Um, no, but, but it used to be in the church that if, if you enjoyed something, like my, I remember my mom telling me it, her, her dad wouldn't let her go to football games. Like, what's, like high school football, it wouldn't even let her go there because it was this kind of whole ideology. If you get pleasure out of it, then it must not be of the Lord. And, and, and there's a difference between ones that God needs to crucify and sanctify. If we're getting pleasure out of something that needs to be crucified or sanctified, there is something wrong with that. It is going to lead us down a dark road of destruction. But if there's things that God has placed in our life he doesn't want to turn the volume down. He wants to turn them up. Check out this verse in Psalm 16, 11. You make known to me the path of life. And in your presence, there's fullness of joy. And at your right hand are, are, are pleasures forevermore. That all of our pleasure, all of our joy in this life is in him and in his presence and at his right hand. I love how C.S. Lewis said, he said, we're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like for C.S. Lewis, it's not that our, our desires are too strong. It's in fact that our desires are too weak or our desires are just for the wrong things. There's this British ballerina. Her name, I know a lot about ballerina stuff because I'm super into that. Um, uh, now there's this British ballerina um, named Jillian Ann who uh, was called the, the Dame Commander of the Order of the British Empire. Like, you know what that is, right? Um, nobody knows what that is. No, it's the highest honor handed out on a civilian um, in the UK for a non-combatant act. It's the highest honor. Like, when her resume in ballet and dance is unparalleled to anyone in the world. Like, she's done it. You know, she's been there and done that. But when she was a, a young child... Um, she was uh, she was fidgety and and she uh, they they really thought something was wrong with her. They thought she was ill, and so the teacher said, "Hey, you should take Jillian to a specialist. Something's going on, and she's not behaving in school, and we just can't get her to sit still, and all this stuff." And so her mom is you know nervous, and like they noticed that she was fidgety. But anyway, they took her to this specialist, and this specialist put her in this room, and and he just sat and talked and observed her for a few moments, and and he said. Um, hey, mom, would, would you mind if we just had a, had a word outside? And so he turned the radio up a little bit and just walked outside. And they stood before a glass window uh, with Jillian Lynn's mom. And um, he just said, just watch with me for a second. And his daughter got up and she just began moving, just kind of in rhythm and dancing. And he looked at her and said, there's nothing wrong with your child. Just take her to dance lessons. She just wants to dance. Like, you know, in, in so many times, like desires that we've suppressed because we, of our insecurity or things that have gone through in this sinful world or, or what we think we're not good enough for, God is just going to turn the volume up. He just wants to turn the volume up and he's going to lead you to places in which you never thought you would go if you'll just trust him with the yes. Just trust him with the yes. God's going to do something in your life. So there's, there's desires that God needs to crucify. He wants to crucify, sanctify, and amplify. Joseph's desire was to honor the Lord above all else and to, to delight in him. The story goes on, and, and actually he's thrown into prison after this whole scenario we just read through. He's thrown into prison, and he ends up in there with a baker and a cupbearer. Like that was a job, you know, within the kingdom there, in Pharaoh's kingdom. And he ends up in, in there in prison because of this alleged rape that uh, Potiphar's wife, you know, claimed and these two, these two guys end up having dreams a few days later. And obviously, Joseph is a dreamer. God's been speaking to him through this. 
And so the, he, uh, Joseph ends up interpreting both of the dreams, and for the baker, it was kind of hard news. He's like, bro, you're going to be hanged in a few days. Like, hate to break the bad news, but that, that's, that's what the dream meant. Sorry to be, tell you. You asked for it. Uh, you, asked me, you asked me what it meant, and that's what it means. And the other, for the cupbearer, he said, you're going to actually be released in a few days, and you'll go back to work. And that's exactly what happened with both of them. And as the cupbearer is with, with Pharaoh, he ends up having a, a dream, and, and they, he tells them what happened, and, and, and uh, he, nobody can interpret the Pharaoh's dream. And so he calls Joseph out of prison to come interpret his dream. And basically, the revelation from the dream was that there's a famine coming, and it's going to be bad, and it's going to last for a long time. I, I don't know what to tell you, but it's coming. So eventually, Joseph finds himself as second in command over everything in Egypt. Slave boy, enslaved for 11 years from ages 17 to 28, in prison for another two years. And he, he was able to, to be and oversee everything with Potiphar after working his way and learning the culture and hustling and to being over all this Egyptian stuff, learning a new culture. And then two years in prison and God makes a way and again raises him up to second command over Pharaoh's everything. And Joseph was the one that led the charge on taking care of the people and making sure that the people did not die. He was in charge of all the goods. Can you imagine that? Like a complete famine, right? No grocery stores. And then like you're the person in the nation who's in charge of rationing out food and figuring out the system. Like that's kind of a big deal. Like make sure everybody survives, you know, that he's, he's been given here. Um, and, and I think this speaks volumes about the doors that God's gonna open in our life when we're faithful, when we're faithful. Um, our story, we moved, we moved here in 2012. We had been, been serving um, at, at a church, on staff at a church for, for five years, and God called us here. We didn't know a soul, um, but now we have family. And um, it was just incredible. But Taryn will tell you, like for the first four to six months of living here, she cried every day without skipping a day. She just, she cried every single day. She'll tell you, it was rough. It, it was rough. It was really hard. We were living on, on Jesus prayer, some savings, and the support of friends and family who were help sending us. And um, I, I was going from door to door, like school to school to theater, like I had all their phone numbers, and I was trying to work out contracts and see what it would project out for the year for us to be able to meet and gather people, because our apartment was not going to last long. Uh, June 9th um, of 2012, we began meeting in our house, and a few weeks later, um, the, the person who, who oversees this property uh, came to us and, and said, hey, church is, has literally shriveled up and died here, and we know you're here. If you want it, we'll give you first shot at it. Uh, it's debt-free. It turned out not to be debt-free. There were some taxes that that guy didn't know about. Long story short, uh, about $25,000 worth of taxes just to tack onto the bill. That's fun. Um, so I, I committed to pray about it, and we, we prayed about it for, for about four weeks, and I ran the numbers Quarter million dollars worth of work that needed to be done just to make it workable. Like, honestly, it just needed a roof. It needed everything. You saw some of those pictures. It was rough, and it smelled worse than what it looked. Come on. That's what it looked like. Um, sometimes the doors that, that God opens in our life, you know, I, I know with this one, um, it took a lot, that door, that open door took a lot more work than what I wanted. That open door was going to take a lot more time than what I had to invest it was going to take a lot more money than what I had to invest. Sometimes the open doors are not going to look like we think they're going to look like for a while. 
But I didn't, I didn't shut it down. I, I busted my butt for six months in leading a team and charging and, and just raising funds and, and community to, to build and launch this church that wasn't going to be just about the building, but the people that made it up and filled it. And uh, through that, we just saw God's faithfulness. And Joseph was the same way. Like, like the open door in his life from his family was slavery for 11 years, right? Not the big break he was looking for. Right? And then, and then being faithful for 11 years got him in prison for two more years. Like it didn't look like he was being faithful through the seasons. He was being obedient and God just continued to open doors. And so I'm just telling you, the door may not look like you want it to look like for a while, but don't stop being faithful. It might just start in a single vine that will not fruit for 20 years and then eventually it's a billion dollar company. Come on, just be faithful with it. Just be obedient with it and God will be faithful. He'll show up and he's going to raise you up when others have counted you out and sold you off. He's going to raise you up. And so just be faithful, even if it's 20 years and all the other plants have died and you're the only one that's just waiting for some fruit to come, just be faithful in it because God will meet you there. Um, didn't start like you wanted. Secondly, unsanctified and uncrucified desires. Unsanctified and uncrucified desires in our life will end up um, leading us and turn into closed and empty doors. Unsanctified and uncrucified desires will end up closing doors for us and end up with empty doors. Unsanctified ambition, you'll get there, you'll make it to the top, and you'll find out that door is empty from the beginning. It'll be empty of God's blessing, it'll be empty of his provision because that, that unsanctified desire was not refined in the previous season, and you'll pay for it. You may not pay for it on the outside, but I'm telling you, you'll be empty. Start having some real talk with some of the million-dollar homes in this city, and you'll get some real talk on what's really going on. Um, and so, so we've got some things that need to be crucified, that need to be um, sanctified in our life. And then lastly, um, not every open door is a, an open door for us to walk through. Um, I had a great conversation with a guy. It actually started back in, in December and uh, he's a businessman and, and, uh, and does, does pretty well for himself, but he, he was offered a job that would make $30,000 more. I don't know what the percentage is on that but for him, because I don't know what the, the, the original figure, but he was making thirty grand more. Somebody said, it feels like an open door, you know what I mean? <laughs> feels like an open door, but this open door was going to lead him for international travel and be away from his family for about six months out of the year. Desire to succeed, have a new position, desire to to make more money, to provide for his family. Desire that feels like, God, the desire of my heart to make more money, right? Open door. We were praying about it with him, and, and eventually, like, eventually he said, man, I just don't think it's God. I don't think God's going to take me away from my family for half the year. I just don't think he's going to do it right now. And um, so he just trusted the Lord and, and, and turned that offer down. Well, a month later, he gets offered another job, um, exact same pay that the, of the pay increase, working in town and working about 20, 20 hours less a week. Gets off at 2 p.m. and gets to be with his family and serve his family. Come on, like that's, that's what God will do when we just wait and just say not every open door is a, you know, one that we should walk through. About 11 years ago, I, I decided in my heart that this was not going to be a door for me to, to go through. I'll tell you the story. It was just a few days before Taryn and I were getting married and we were 
I went with my groomsmen to downtown Disney. You guys remember, like, it used to be downtown. It's Disney Springs now. And so we went over there with my groomsmen, and we did Disney Quest because we're big nerds like that. And did they shut Disney Quest down? I feel like they were shutting it. Yeah, it's sad. Big part of my childhood. Anyway, um, and so I remember just walking behind these crowds of people and just seeing foot traffic. And just, and like something just clicked in me. It was this idea that that is a wasted energy. Like every step, I mean, think about being on an exercise bike. That's energy that's being forced there. And I began to look at that, and, and there was just this idea, like, we're wasting that energy. Like, this is back in, like, 2007. Like, what if we could harness that energy and power buildings, like a foot traffic? What if we had these tiles or these pads that received the energy from our feet that would light buildings? And, and we, what if we did it with the cars and, like, all that traffic and heavy cars? If we got something out of the wasted energy, energy in our bodies to to make a more, uh, you know, economically friendly green cities across the world. I thought it was a brilliant idea. I'm not a scientist. I'm not an electrical engineer. I don't know what to do with this. So I just, I'm getting married in two days. And I'm telling you, I wasn't thinking about that for the next 10 days. Um, you'll get that at home later. Somebody will explain it to you. Um, and so, uh, so I just let it simmer. Started a new job and went to it. 2009, fast forward two years and I'm in uh, Chincha, Peru, working with some earth, earthquake uh, relief stuff and, and evangelistic ministry, and, and I'm sitting in the back of a Land Rover with a Belgian electrical engineer, and begin to, it just, the idea hits me again, and I'm like, man, got an idea when I run across you. Just tell me if you heard something like this. I figure an electrical engineer might know of something, emerging markets on this. I'm like, how would I go about doing that? So I pitched the idea. He loved the idea, thought it was amazing, never heard anything like it. So I went home, and I'm like, I'm going to figure out this is a real thing. So I search it for like a week. I'm, I'm searching every night to see if I see anything. I don't see anything. Nothing in the world that's going on like this. And um, I, 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 again, wait. And um, uh, later that year, about six months later, I look online again, and I find one thing. The University of Michigan has just been, you know, student whatever science department has been a $100,000 grant to do this in their student union about three years after I, I you know, had this original idea. And uh, I was like, oh, man, they beat me to the punch. You know, I waited for two and a half years. Um, long story short, it, it, was, it was an open door that I wasn't supposed to pursue. Like, it was an idea that God gave me, but it wasn't a God one. Even though it was a great idea, it was not a God idea. And I turned it down. It's a billion-dollar company now, just by the way. They, they, they've got them all over the world. They've got them on, uh, in tiles right there. That's powering the walls. They've got them on soccer fields and stuff like that. I'm not saying like, hey, because I don't even feel like it was for me. I think it was a test for me. Am I going to run down roads? And I'm telling you, just about every year, because the way God wired me to be service to the kingdom of God, there's ideas that'll pop up and there are open doors that I could do, but I shouldn't do. And I'm guessing in your life, there's going to be some things that I'm not saying God's tempting you, but it will test where you're at and what you're about. Um, I love this passage in Psalm 37, 23. This is powerful for us. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Earlier in that chapter, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. In this text, he's gonna make firm the steps of the one who delights in him. So it, it's still there. It's still there. What door to walk through? Just keep delighting yourself in the Lord. Right? It's not about an answer to your question. Just delight yourself in the Lord. It's about getting closer to him. And as you're closer to him, like questions that used to be a question, man, it would take me six months to discern it, and now I can d- discern it in six hours, whether I'm supposed to do it. And so continue to do that. God will speak in our life with doors, and God spoke in Joseph's life, and he opened 
up doors in his life that he would never thought he would go to. The story continues to get incredible as we move on and talk about dreams and begin to wrap up today. God just continued to use these dreams in his life, and now he's commander over the art, like uh, basically over all of Pharaoh's Egyptian kingdom. It's, it's just incredible just to think about where he came from, a foreigner that's now to this place in just a short time and um, in charge of all this. And then eventually that original prayer, that original dream that was revealed to him about the wheat bowing down, it's like his brothers are not, I'm not going to bow down to you. They don't know where their brother's been. They don't know that he's second in command all over the Egyptian, like Pharaoh's kingdom. But they end up coming to him and they bow down asking for food. Right? He didn't start with this intention. You're going to bow down to me. He told them the dream and they, and they interpreted it how they wanted to. He was just trying to figure it out. And eventually they are doing exactly that. But you know what I think? For many years, for decades, for Joseph, his greatest dream wasn't to be second in command. It was to be restored to his family. It was that his father wouldn't mourn for him any longer. And, and, and even Jacob's dream was that too, that, that he would be restored to his family and he would no longer mourn until his deathbed, but he would, he would eventually be reunited. And he didn't even know that his son was alive and God just restores even that which was dead and brings it to life. That's the power of our God. Dreams are interesting. If you look through the scripture and we talk about the ways God speaks, if you look through the scriptures, it seems like God speaks through dreams and visions more than any other way. So if dreams and visions freak you out, sorry, that's the scriptures. God speaks through them. He speaks through them. It's interesting. Scientists tell, like you guys know about REM sleep, like REM, like REM sleep. And so like 90 minutes after, you know, we go to sleep, our prefrontal cortex goes to sleep as well. That's all of our rational thought. And then our amygdala, which controls our emotions, like wakes up and like decides to have a party. And like that's why our emotions, our dreams are so vivid. That amygdala is, is wide open. Uh, scientists say that we begin dreaming before we're ever born. And every single night, all of us, we, we're dreaming two to five times, even when we don't remember them. And you know, therapists say that the deepest type of therapy is dream therapy. You know, some scientists say it's just, it's just the pinging in our brain, kind of putting all the stuff of our day together, our fears and anxieties and stress, and just putting them together. And maybe there's a piece of that that's, that's true, but I don't think that's the whole story. God spoke through, to Abraham in a vision, and he, he spoke to Joseph in dreams, and he spoke to Peter, and he spoke to Paul, and he spoke to Samson, he spoke to Solomon. All these people throughout Scripture that God gave them dreams and visions. Amos said that your young men will dream dreams and your old men will have visions. And I believe that God's going to wake some dreams up in our heart that have lied dormant or wake up some dreams in our heart and just get us back to hand-pollinating the dream that he set when it was a single vine and he's not done with it. I just think he's going to just begin to increase that and amplify some of those desires that are reassessed in the corners of our heart because he's not done with this yet. And I love how Job says it. Job, a man who was just, who had been through it, like slavery and, and uh, prison sounds good to what Joseph went, or to what Job went through. R- listen to this text. And these are but the outer fringe of his works. How faint the whisper we hear of him. Who then can understand the power of his, understand the thunder of his power? Is it, is it possible that what God 
cannot get to us through our rational mind. God is revealing in a time when we are just open to our wildest imagination that God wants to speak. And whether that's during your rim sleep or that's when you're wide awake driving home from work and you just kind of space out for a minute and God's like, yo, <laughs> you know? And it's revealing something. It's God whispering into our hearts about what he's calling us to do or something that he wants to crucify or sanctify or amplify in our life. I don't know where you're at today, but I truly believe like there's some single vines that have laid dormant for a while and God wants to hand pollinate them through his spirit and just wake them up. And, and I'm not saying it's going to be a, the, the largest billion dollar industry in the world, but I believe it's going to impact his kingdom forevermore. And so as the band comes this morning, I just want to begin to speak this over, to you, uh, over you this morning. Remember Jesus, he said, well, they asked him, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart your mind, soul, and strength. Is it possible that like we, we, we can't even fathom the dreams that God has recessed in our heart? And I just believe in the coming days, God's gonna wake up some of these things. And I get it, like it's, it's difficult to discern a good idea, a great idea from a God idea. Very simply, how do you know? Um, if it feels like it didn't come from you, give credit where credit's due, right? If it feels like you didn't come up with that. Like, that wasn't something you've been thinking about. I'd never thought that before in my life, but it was a test that God was going to continue to use and to encourage you today. Uh, wherever you're at today, just know that God wants to, to do a new work in you. He wants to crucify some desires. He wants to sanctify some. And he wants to amplify some. I'm excited to celebrate with you today. Um, God's doing some amazing things in this body. But in these next few minutes, we're just going to declare about the greatness and the goodness of God. We're gonna to come to this table for those that are believers in the house and, and celebrate the, the, the death and resurrection of Christ that gives us life, that gives us hope that we don't have on our own efforts and works. We're gonna come and celebrate that today. And I just believe that in this time, God's gonna amplify some desires. As we declare this bridge of the song that just says, all the earth, sing your praise, God, that, that it's about your kingdom, it's not about ours. Will you stand with me today?